I'm Hayes Hartwig. This is Bamboo, Vancouver's property management and investment podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. Today, we are here with Jordan Kofsky, the mortgage geek. Yeah, hello, right? Yeah, that's a. I love that intro. Thank you. That yeah. is a hell of a moniker you got. Like, Thank you. How the why the mortgage geek? To, to be honest, actually, um, there's a really great comedian that I love. His name's Tim Minchin, mm-hmm. and he's a rock and roll nerd. And okay. ever since I heard that, I was like. I, I love that, and I loved the mortgage nerd. I loved all those ones, but then the mortgage geek just rolled. It kind of pops. Yeah, I got a geek squad, and then mm-hmm. I do mortgages. So the mortgage geek, and I love to geek out about mortgages, which is kind of how this works. Yeah, <laughs> that actually it is. So we actually just talked right before we jumped on the air here. What did you used to do before mortgages? Because and, and does that sort of help you with your current? <laughs> Actually, yeah. So you're leaning into the fact that uh, I used to be a radio broadcaster. I used to, I went to BCIT, graduated from the radio broadcasting program. Uh, an alumni, someone that I was in classes with, was uh, Jordan Foss, who is, of course, still an oak. Um, he and I took that class together. I was a very, uh, very cool program. After radio broadcasting, I actually went back to school and got my business degree. And then, of course, uh, mortgage broker license through that as well. Yeah. But uh, before mortgage brokering, uh, yeah, radio broadcasting, did some sales, marketing, uh, stuff like that. So it's interesting how it all sort of comes together. Um, it, it, interestingly enough, when I started, it was exactly when COVID hit and no one could get outside. <laughs> so I was like, uh, how do I uh, let people know this is what I do? Yeah. So I thought. I'm going to start a podcast. Yeah, fair enough, right? So that's what I did. And then it's like, <laughs> oh, wow, my my uh, history of being a broadcaster and doing this sort of thing came in handy because I was able to call people and just get started and yeah. start doing a podcast like you do here. Yeah, fair enough, right? Um, I guess it, it, it all comes down to people. Like, I've come back from, uh, used to work in pubs and casinos and all that sort of stuff. So a lot of people who come through the nightlife and service industries end up as realtors and mortgage brokers and property managers and all that sort of thing. It's interesting when you think about that, because in a way, like, so actually when I was in university, uh, I had to get, uh, I worked as a server and bartender and all that stuff as well. And so it all ends up being sort of the same sales, hospitality type thing, because, you know, servers at restaurants and bartenders at, and bars and restaurants and things like that, it's a sales job itself as well. Yeah. It's like, yes, it's a lot of hospitality, but... I'll, I'll be darned if there's not a uh, a sales contest that I didn't try to win. Like there was an opportunity to win, say like whoever sells the most cheesecake wins, <laughs> or, or, or something like that. And you know, I'd always, I'd often win those or things like that. My secret was to actually let the customers in on the fact that it was in a contest because everybody wanted to help at that point. Yeah, fair enough. Everybody, well, generally people want to help each other, right? Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it, it's uh, it, it's just interesting. And I mean, I guess also you're. Especially in the, the nightlife industry in particular, you're dealing with a lot of drunks and whatnot. So you're a little bit more calm under fire. I Absolutely. Guess. Like you deal with some stressful situations. Well, let's but... see if we cross paths. Which, uh, which bars did you work at? Oh, man. Was... The like Glaring West or downtown? downtown oh, well, I mean, I worked at the Heritage in New West. That was the, of course. One of the last ones I worked at. Uh, it was down at uh, Blarney Stone. I worked out at On the Rocks, which doesn't exist anymore. 
What else did I break? I'm losing track of them, but yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, pretty much all over the place. <laughs> the, the Blarney Stone was a was a big place that I used to love. Yeah, loved absolutely. the house band. It was a great time. Yeah, like Blarney. Yeah. <laughs> you, you never had a bad time. Yeah, you always remembered going there, but never leaving. Yes, <laughs> yes, actually, very accurate. So uh, I guess we should probably get into it. Otherwise, we're going to have a different style of podcast. Yeah, yeah, right. right, right. <laughs> um, so I guess we'll start off with what everyone's jibber jabbering about is the uh, the the rate freezes. What yeah. um, what do you think is going? I mean, it's obviously been held for a while. Yeah. What do you think is the future hold? And remember that we're going to hold it to you. So yeah. remember to email Jordan. <laughs> yeah. Thanks very much. So <clears throat> loaded question for sure. Because like at the start, it's sort of like, man, oh man, like where do we go from here? It's so volatile right now. Um, however, it's really clear that the Bank of Canada, especially with their, with their language that they're using, mm-hmm. is they're indicating that the rate hikes are likely over. Yeah. So yay. That's the good news with that. Does that mean that rate drops are coming next week? Maybe not. So we may be a bit more of a delay with that front, but it may still be like there's no rate hikes, which is the best part of the best part of the news. Yeah. But overall, will they start coming down? I suspect they will later this year. Uh, I suspect that, but you never know. And part of me thinks to myself was like, what about what's going on in the Middle East right now? Is that going to be causing any sort of massive inflation jumps and mm-hmm. things like that? Because, you know, shipping and international trade and all that stuff is all being affected now. So will that have an effect? At this point, it doesn't seem like it will. Yeah. But who knows at this point, uh, you know, we don't want a crisis of what happened in the late seventies where and early eighties, which I believe caused a huge spike yeah. in uh, inflation. So, We'll see how it all plays out, but I suspect that we're probably out of the woods. Okay. Now, now that being said, like I've noticed that the uh, the rates for variable seem to be significantly higher than fixed. Yeah. Do you think that this is the bank knowing or believing that the rates are going to come down and they're trying to entice people to lock in, knowing that the variable may come flying by everybody who's locked in and end up lower? Or like, is there any credence? I know it sounds like a tinfoil hat conspiracy theories but now that's a good question i think the question that you're asking is do banks try to make money (laughs) perhaps yeah so i think to answer that is it's possible that that's what they're thinking i mean where they get their indicating and how they price everything is what's going on in what in the canadian bond yields so if you look at the bond yields, you can go online right now and check out the Canadian bond yield, the five-year, to three-year, and that'll give you a pretty good indication of what the uh, the banks are doing when it comes to their fixed rates. Okay. A lot of people seem to think that, oh my goodness, when the Bank of Canada raised the interest rates, well, that's why fixed rates went up. Not so correct. Not so exact. Okay. It's correlated, not caused. So it means that they're similar, but not it's not exactly caused by the other. So what's happened is the Canadian bond yields... If you look at those, that'll give you more of an indication of what's going on with the fixed rates. And that's due to what's going on. Uh, people are investing in Canada. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so yeah, I guess one of the, we're going to actually lead to, so it's a good thing you jumped in there is this sort of looking at what exactly makes these go up and down. Yeah. So that's, that's your question. So with the Bank of Canada, they look at inflation and all of that, which is what they're looking at, which is like their different triggers of CPI. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how they determine how 
if the Bank of Canada will be increasing their rate or not. Yeah. Um, right now, they're staying at a pause. Uh, the governor has said, and as well as the assistant governor has also said recently, is that essentially that we're going to keep everything where it's at, let it sort of marinate into the economy, and we'll see how it plays out in the next few months. Yeah. And then then we'll start looking at uh, potential rate drops. They have not indicated that they're going to be increasing it. So that's what we're saying. So that's what we kind of expecting. So they look at CPI, they look at inflation, how things are going up. I mean, my goodness, if you remember last year, it felt like every time you went to the grocery <laughs> store, our, the prices went up. Like, yeah, absolutely, right? Every single time, which was crazy. I mean, like, would I buy eggs and orange juice and you know, maybe like some milk and whichever. I'm making a really good breakfast, apparently. And <laughs> and it ended up being like 40 bucks. And I was like, I just buy it. And what so, happened? and that was kind of, and so when you looked at that, that was sort of an indicator that, okay, everything might still be going up for a bit um, because that was the case because inflation was so high. Um, now that everything's sort of leveling off and doesn't seem to be going up every single time, doesn't mean it's not high now, but it is where it is. Yeah. It means that, at least we're out of the woods and no more further increases. So hopefully we'll start seeing some decreases. And that's what they see from. Now, that being said, like, what do you feel that the consumer sentiment is? Like, I've noticed on the sales side that things are starting to pick up a little bit more. People seem to feel that the the raises are over. So they seem to be start coming back in. Do you think... Well, first of all, do you see that? Do you, are you starting to get more people calling about mortgages or at least poking around, trying to get their ducks in a row or at least into the pond? Uh, and additionally, do you think that once the there is a rate drop, do you think it's going to be all hell breaking loose again? Or what do you think the future is going to hold there? Obviously, you don't have a crystal ball, but... <laughs> yeah, I mean, if I had a crystal ball, I would definitely be in Vegas right now. Right. Um, <laughs> but the, more importantly, I think... To look at it from that perspective uh, and what are people doing, you're right. I'm starting to see more people come out of the woodwork, mm -hmm. for sure. What I do find, though, is, and I say this to all my all the realtors that I work with, is that we seem, mortgage brokers seem to be about four to six weeks behind realtors, for whatever reason. So realtors start getting busier. It hasn't quite trickled down to the uh, the mortgage brokers yet. We're sort really of like, weird since you're the guys with the money. With the finance. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Because uh, a lot of people like to talk to the realtor first, which is another sort of uh, peculiar thing about the industry. Because you, <laughs> you, you'd think that people would want to talk to the finance guy to make sure I can, uh, the person can't afford what they're trying to do. Exactly, right? However, you know, consumers act the way that they do for a reason. So um, I always find that it's four to, we're about four to six weeks out. So with that in mind, though, we are starting to see some increases. More people are getting interested. More people are wanting to get, at least, as you say, get their ducks in the pond. Never mind, not necessarily get their ducks in a row yet. But they're going, hey, maybe I'm going to start thinking about what's going on in the industry now. Maybe I'm going to get on that market now and see what's out there. And But definitely people are looking for a good deal still. Yeah, and speaking of people looking for a good deal... I find that speaking with a lot of the buyers, they always start off with saying that they're going to go to the bank and they, they, they're not really interested in talking to a mortgage broker and all that. Why? And why would somebody come to a mortgage broker? Sell yourself, sir. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a great question. I mean, how I look at it in a lot of ways is it's not necessarily just about 
the rate. And a lot of people just go into like this idea of, well, I just saw that the rate's important. So therefore I'm going to do that. Mm -hmm. You need, people need to get educated and really know exactly what they're getting into. Mm -hmm. You're getting a pretty significant loan. Like sometimes it's the most important and biggest financial decision you're ever going to make. You know I what I mean? Or at least I, at this point. I, I don't think I personally have ever spent more money on it. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think a lot of people, what they should do, and in my perspective, is talk to a mortgage broker. Talk to somebody that's an expert in the industry. This is what mortgage brokers do all day, every day. Eat, drink, sleep, geek out <laughs> on mortgages. So talk to them about it and talk about what your goals are. What are you looking to do? The key is, is that it's more than just getting the transaction done mm -hmm. for me myself i pride myself on the customer service level i pride myself on reaching out to my clients afterwards making sure everything's good to go making sure they have any questions seeing what's going on seeing the next year let's do a review how are you doing do you know how to use the prepayment options do you know how to pay down your mortgage more quickly become mortgage free faster are you yeah. utilizing that right that is really important because often I've had people that have been in situations where they actually got a higher rate, but then are on track to pay it down more quickly because they wanted to utilize those very key prepayment options to make sure that they do it right. And that's really when mortgages are won and lost. So, and that's what the advice you get from a mortgage broker. So I think that's really key. Yeah, I guess. It, and I was also told that a lot of the uh, mortgage professionals that you speak to at the bank don't actually have a license. They're just working under the bank's license. Is this correct? Well, I don't want to say exactly what goes on at every uh, with everybody, but I'm confident that that's a very accurate statement. Uh, there's there's articles about that if you look on uh, Nickel Mail and things like that. I do remember seeing that, and actually there are things like they spell advisor with an O instead of an E or something like that. Yeah. And that actually indicates like other things about it as well. And <laughs> which is really fascinating, but it's true. I think more importantly, if it's about the license and whichever is the person you speak to at the bank is beholden to the bank. Yeah. They owe what's called a fiduciary duty, which means a duty of care to the bank. Mm -hmm. That's it. So that means if, Client A goes and speaks to the teller and tells them exactly what they want to do. The teller can take all of that information and essentially use it against you to get yeah. you to get a better opportunity for the bank. This isn't to say that they'll do it on purpose or anything like that, or they're bad. Like that's not that. Yeah. But they're not necessarily equipped to put the client in the best position looking forward. And that's again what you get from a mortgage broker. We're your confidant. We are your accountant. We are your lawyer. And have you ever seen The Godfather? <laughs> absolutely. Think of it like we're your consigliere. Okay, I got you, man. Yeah, absolutely. It's sort of the same thing with uh, when people go into a sales site without a realtor. They A lot of them don't realize that that salesperson is not working for you, buyer. They 100% are working for the sales site. And you should probably bring someone with you because, I mean... As the, uh, the quote goes, just because you can throw a punch doesn't mean you can box. <laughs> so. That is a great way to look at it. And it's, it's very true. And so I think it's always really good to get as much information as possible. Yeah. And I'll be the first to tell you, hey, if I believe that you could do better at a different institution, go do it. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I pride on that honesty and that integrity. And that's really important to have that conversation and make sure that we're all on the same page together.
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what are some of the do's and don'ts? Um, we, I mean, we know we see some certain things where, you know, somebody would get their pre-approval and then they show up in a brand new truck for the next showing. And I'm like, uh, was that part of your pre-approval or what, what are you doing with this brand new truck right now? Oh my God. <laughs> and you can see me right now with like my head in my hands because I, I actually had one of those. And uh, uh, <laughs> seriously, uh, this didn't happen actually during the pre-approval. This happened during the real approval stage, <laughs> um, which was, okay, so we have an accepted offer. And by the way, I just bought a new truck. So uh, I can still get that $600,000 or $800,000 mortgage, right? I'm like, well, let's find out because we now need to punch in all the information and make sure that the everyone's aware of the fact that you just purchased this yeah. uh, vehicle and we need to make sure that everything's above board, right? Um, so that's really what's really important. Now, uh, there have been situations where I have had a client ask me if it was time for them to get a new uh, a, a new car or a new truck yeah. right now. And I go, no, is the answer. <laughs> get your house first, get your place all sorted out, then start looking at that option. Because yeah. one of those things can really change the whole aspect of everything. Because what banks look at is not necessarily the total amount of loan. It's actually how much you put down per month. So if let's say the loan is $800 or $1,000 a month. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that has a, quite a big impact on how much you can afford for your mortgage because that $1,000 is no longer going to your mortgage. Yeah. It's going towards your car payment. Okay, that makes sense. Absolutely. And some people ha- are concerned about how their credit is. Do you have any uh, easier ways for somebody to build their credit back? Like, is there something that is weighed more than something else for if they're trying to build up their credit as quickly and I guess, safely as possible. What, what would be some ways people to get back on track if they kind of fell off? Because, you know, you're 20 and you yeah. get the credit card out and max, max, max. Oh, <laughs> actually, I was one of those people that, that did that. I, I had to teach myself how to get out of this. So, uh, <laughs> you know, here's, here's a story. Uh, so essentially what you do is, in my case, actually, I got myself into like something like $12,000, $15,000 debt. Credit, and that was credit card debt, which is not fun to get out of. 18% plus kind of go. Oh my God. And, and on top of that, I forgot to pay a couple of times. Oh, and then it ended up being, it turned into 22%. It was it was wild to deal with. Um, so don't do that. Uh, <laughs> is so, that tip one? <laughs> right, that's tip one. Um, so when you talk to a mortgage broker, uh, one thing that a mortgage broker will always say is that, hey, I need to check your credit bureau. I need to check your credit account. And people get really nervous about that. Oh, will it affect my credit score? Yeah. First of all, very little, if any, really. Like, we're talking very minor amount of points. Mm-hmm. So that's not really a concern. On top of that, lenders have basically look at everything into tiers. So tier one, tier two, tier three, tier four. And they have pretty big windows of how much you can fit into each one of those boxes, right? Each one of those uh, spaces. So if you're very comfortable in tier one, you don't really have much to worry about. So don't concern yourself with it or tier two, really. Yeah. Um, so what ends up happening in this case is that, so when I pull your bureau, I take a look and I always will go over with the client exactly what's on their bureau yeah. and then always point out, hey, if there's a point where you're actually in tier two, but you could be in tier one, so to speak, because tier one was the, is the best, obviously. Yeah. Um, we'll go over and, and I'll say, hey, did you take a look at this or take a look at that? Can we fix that? So one of those things would be, I don't know, say, make sure you pay off your credit cards. That's a big thing. Uh, make sure you keep everything um, keep everything in line and, and along those fronts, right? So, but more importantly, 
what my favorite thing that a lot of people miss is if you take a look at your credit card and your credit card is say has a balance of say three thousand dollars that's it that's the total limit that you could put on that card a lot of people think well i put two thousand dollars on it twenty five hundred dollars on it and then pay it off right away that's good while that is good i'm not saying it's not actually what happens is that your credit utilization is quite high okay and if your credit utilization is quite high it actually hurts your credit score so if you actually it's better to have say your credit card at say ten thousand dollars and put taking only twenty five hundred dollars out yeah and then paying that off because you're you're showing far less use of that credit card it goes into the algorithm a different way Mm -hmm. so that's a really big key that people sort of miss um i had a client once that had two thousand dollars that was it only allowed on their credit card Mm -hmm. and they once once one time went up 20 to 2200 because they had to buy tickets uh on a plane to go home yeah um there was an emergency they had to head uh, home to another country cost about 2200 bucks both of them yeah to go for a round trip and that crushed their score and it took a little while for us to fix that and it's because even though they paid it off right away the fact that it went over at one point affected their score and that's something you want to avoid so the a biggest the biggest easiest one to pay attention to other than paying off everything yeah. is of course your credit utilization take a look and see and make sure that actually you apply for those higher amounts on your credit cards don't go up that high have some self-control yeah but make sure that you actually have a higher utilization or you have a higher amount uh that you can utilize but don't go up that high okay yeah it's almost sort of like you're showing the creditors that you have control. <laughs> You're not going to go blast it to 10,000 just because you can, right? That is a very good way to look at it. <laughs> Absolutely. It's almost the, the show me state, if you will, of credit. Yeah. <laughs> Prove it. So we've been talking a lot of stuff about here and would probably a lot would apply more to first time buyers who, I mean, there a lot of the younger generation in particular is thinking they can't make it in, which... It seems that there's a bit of a shift almost, at least I've been hearing more from younger generations saying like, yeah, maybe I can give this a crack, you know what I mean? And, and sort of understanding that, you know, you have to, to build through things and get that crappy one bedroom apartment with shared laundry, you know what I mean? It's not the, the Taj Mahal that you're hoping for, but you got to jump through the hoops to get there, you know? It's one of those conversations that I have with a lot of our uh, buyers and investors and in that is that, you know, your, your first car was that beat up Natty One Civic that you had to <laughs> pull the e-brake up one click to get the running lights to work and stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, so they got to start somewhere. So there are some first-time buyer programs that are out there. Um, do you want to touch in on a couple of them and sort of give your insights on those? Yeah, a lot of them are really good and you can use them. Like a lot of them, like the ones that get a lot of credit, a lot of like impact that people talk about a lot, is for example, there's the uh, first-time homebuyer uh, property transfer tax yeah. uh, incentive. That means if it's a place that's uh, you know five hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars yeah. or less, uh, you'll get uh, some aspect of the property transfer tax uh, waived. Mm-hmm. It's five hundred thousand dollars or less. It's waived completely, and from five hundred to five twenty-five, it goes on a sliding yeah, scale. Yeah, scale there. But the reality is, and what it seems so strange to me is, is that like. We're in Vancouver, BC. How many places are less than five hundred thousand dollars? Like really? Yeah. So you end up like not really helping a lot of people because if the place is five thirty, uh, well then all of a sudden you get zero 
of yeah. an incentive, which is ridiculous, frankly. Um, so that's on that front. An- another one to pay attention to, what I like and a lot of people use was the RSP. Yep, that's uh, exactly first-time home buyer one, uh, which is a, which is a good one. Which is when you are able to take withdraw thirty five thousand dollars out of your RRSP and use that towards your first time uh, your down payment, mm-hmm. and then if you use that, then you have twenty five years to pay it back. Yeah, which is a pretty good nice pay because once you've paid it back, now you've got your place that you've been building equity in and your RRSPs. Correct, right? and it's really good. But that sort of brings us into the other one, which is the new one, which is the. Uh, uh, FHSA, which is yes. the uh, uh, the first time homebuyer savings account, essentially, yeah. and uh, a lot of the banks uh, are offering this now or or know about it at least. You go online, check it out, um, and it allows you to actually put in eight thousand dollars a year mm-hmm. as a limit. And what happens is, like an RRSP, if you put money into the RRSP, you don't have to pay it on your taxes. Yeah, correct. And so it gives you a bit of a tax break. But then when you take it out, which is why you have to, which is why you have to pay back the first time home buyer went over the 25 years or else it counts against your income. Mm-hmm. So with the F- FHSA in this same situation, you take out the $8,000 or take out however much you want. You don't actually have to pay it back. It acts like a TFSA again. Okay. So the, so if it works as an RSP when you put it in and it actually acts as a TFSA when taking it out, it's actually pretty slick, which is pretty nice Yeah. where it becomes an issue where I find personally is that, I like the program and I like the platform and it makes sense. But I always wondered this question and I'm curious is who is it helping? Because the idea is it's supposed to be helping people save up money for a home. But so many people are, you know, working paycheck to paycheck Mm -hmm. that it ends up being difficult because you're putting in just a little bit or how much, or is it just giving people that already have the ability to save even another ability to save where I want. I would like to see the government personally look at things like how can we help people that are struggling with saving yeah. to save more. That's one thing. But overall, I think it's a really good program for anybody that's in the market or getting interested in, into the market. I wish I used it uh, when I bought my place. Uh, <laughs> I did the uh, the first time homebuyer RSP, and I'm paying it back. But man, oh man, I would have loved to have done it the other way too. Uh, that would have been really nice. But it came out shortly after I made my purchase for my first home. Yeah, you know what? Stories about being dumb. Um, hey, <laughs> I, I, I got I got one for you. He calls him like you see them, huh? <laughs> right? Yeah, the um, the RRSP, which of course stands for Retirement Savings and all that. Um, yeah, it, it's it's almost that like they like re uh, named it because you know, like when you're twenty twenty two making dough, I'm not retiring forever. Who cares? Yeah, right. They put it in, named it the down payment retirement savings plan or something like that. Make it a little bit more like, oh, okay. But to get on to my stupidity, uh, when I worked at the casinos, they had an RSP matching. So you could put in and they would match you one to one up to, I forgot what the, I think it was up to like 5000 or something. Wicked. So literally, I'm going to give you $5,000 for saving $5,000. Did I use it once? Nah, no. I'm not going to retire in 22. Who cares? Right? Yeah. Just dumb. So I guess for any listeners out there, if you have RRSP matching, don't be an idiot and use it because they literally are giving you free money. Yeah. <laughs> so like, <laughs> excuse me. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, well, but, that's a good way to look at it. And I think that's 
the main thing with a lot of savings plans is use them. And so many of us, including myself, you know, goodness, I just shared the story that I was up like in crazy credit card debt is because you don't realize you have these options available to you because you're, you're 22 and you want to have fun and relax and hang out and do fun things. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and we all did. Um, And this isn't to say that it wasn't really difficult because Lord, it was like every, every generation says how difficult it is in their twenties because, you know, you don't know the world, but you know, in your 20s, that's a really great time to start saving. It's extremely difficult to do so because you're in your 20s. But if you can, and even a little bit here and there, 500 bucks makes a difference. It really does. So I would, that's a huge thing that I would tell people to start doing young people now is just like, start it right now. It's not to say that I'm old, but it's something I wish that I did uh, when I was, uh, you know, 22. Then that was not that long ago. I promise. (laughs) It was, uh, yeah, it is a while ago for me. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> you look great. <laughs> Why, thank you, sir. Um, so, yeah, I mean, with the savings, it, it, it's one of those things that, um, I mean, I started fairly young purchasing real estate, mm-hmm. but uh, mostly because I'm a third-generation realtor, so I had a, a violent push into go buy something, don't rent, blah, 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 kind of thing, right? It's a little bit different, obviously, for the younger generations now because we're in a significantly tougher time yes i i i'm not taking that away no it's not from avocado toast or whatever the nonsense was that was going around oh i have to say that about the avocado toast that always makes me laugh because it's like you know the three dollars a day and then you know if you say or you say that eight dollars a day it'll definitely add up like it ends up being something like you know over the course of five years like you know thirty thousand dollars or something like that which is good i'm not saying that but what are we talking about here? Places are like $800,000, $1.5 million. Yeah, right. Man, that $30,000 really saved me. Boy, I'm happy that I didn't buy that avocado toast. <laughs> right? I, I think that <laughs> advice is like, what are we talking about here? Yeah, it's, it's like just like, uh, just work harder. Get the, you know, e- easy peasy. Right? And I think that's where that disconnect is, where the generations kind of look at it and go, what are you talking about? Right? And uh, But I, I again, I'm thankful to say that I conquered the mountain when it was not easy when it's yeah. not easy it, i just did it and it's so so challenging and you know without the help and it but it makes a big difference um whatever help you can get so uh, just try it but it's true the avocado toast i never understood that don't go to starbucks people i guess yeah it's like uh, don't sue us at starbucks either yeah exactly <laughs> your coffee's great <laughs> yeah and, and it is it's it's funny with the people trying to get into the market and that and uh, equity is one of the things that people really have to learn about. And that's why I keep on telling a lot of the younger guys that, that, that I speak with to just get your foot in there because you can keep on trying to save up that, uh, that down payment, mm-hmm. but it seems like the goalposts just keep on moving. So if you can struggle through for that first place and get that equity going and that sort of thing, not only are you trying to save the money, but you're also your place is improving in value, and you can move to the one that you actually want yes. down the way. And so, yeah, it's just sort of a it, it, you just got to commit to take that leap. And yeah, it's it's not going to be the perfect joint that you're hoping for, and it may not be as good as the one that you're renting right now, but it will get you there. Yes. and that's sort of the. Yeah, it has to be now, right? It's true that you've got to start somewhere. And yeah. that's that's the biggest thing. I mean, I, I actually think I can actually hear my mother telling me right now, it's you got to get in. 
Like yeah. that's the key. You've got to get into this market because it, it's a roller coaster that just keeps going and going and going. I guess it's not going up and down really. It just yeah. keeps going up. Yeah. Uh, the downs are very limited in the grand scheme of things. And so in that case is that if you're getting into the market, you can build that equity, as you say. Mm-hmm. And because if you don't, your market, like it's shocking how quickly the market can move. Like right now we're in a bit of a lull, but you know, tomorrow that could change and we're on skyrocketing again Yeah, and it's going crazy. And then all of a sudden, like, Hey, good thing you saved all that money to buy it, get in a first time, get into that place. But now it's sped past you. Now you can afford, instead of being a two bedroom apartment, it's now a one bedroom apartment or yeah. was it, it was a townhouse and now it's a two bedroom uh, uh, apartment. And that's, and, and that's tough sometimes. So I think it's key to, as soon as you can get in, tr- get in, do your best, get in yeah, and get started and you know grow from there it takes some time to get used to but i'm definitely definitely go with the idea get in get started it's yeah. key and especially in vancouver is that's the tricky part as you touched on earlier that savings mm-hmm. is the tricky part because especially on the property management side of my business the rents that people are having to pay these days are astronomical like they really? are heavy i'm sure uh, certain places that we were renting before like three years ago for two thousand are now renting for three Wow. And like, that's a serious hop. Yeah. And so the thing that's like most frustrating about it is that all of these tenants are not missing their payments, but all of their payments are going to pay rent, which is dealing with mortgages and all this. And no, I'm not throwing all the landlords under the bus here, but because all the mortgages and taxes and insurance mm-hmm. and everything has gone up, everything's more expensive. Right. Yeah. But it's just, it's tough for these guys because they can clearly pay a mortgage but they can't get the down payment. So if there was some sort of a solution that a bank could figure out to get in, like even if it was letting them get in for less of a down payment, if they had a proven track record of say five years, never missing a rent payment or something, because then you've shown, I can for sure pay this. So let them get in the door or something. You know? Yeah. I mean, I hear you. I mean, and I think that's an accurate thing to ask for. I, I think the only like caveat to that is, I, when I try to look at it and say, okay, let's, the bank is a place that has money and they're giving you their money, essentially. They're yeah. loaning you their money. And so you're going to go buy a place and put, say, I like it when people say, like, I don't want to, like, no money down. Yeah. Something like that. Well, you have no skin in the game. Yeah, absolutely. And that, 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 why would they do that? Yeah. Are they, do they get a higher amount of, you know, do you get to pay off the equity? Like, I, I don't understand exactly how that could work. And this isn't to say that there shouldn't be creative solutions and there should be. And I strongly believe that it should be easier for people to get in to the market. And I get that. I don't know if the idea is is that somehow on the money side that they can get in with like just no money down because we've we've paid our rent. I get it. I do. And I think that's fair. It just concerns me. It just when you have to look at it and say from the other perspective and say, really, you want the bank to give you a hundred, eight hundred thousand dollars because you pay rent that's yeah. that's tough too yeah that's a, that's a tough that's a tough argument uh to make if you're a talking to a business yeah and, and make no mistake the bank is a business and they are there to make money i don't think i recall a bank not making money to be perfectly honest what a coincidence <laughs> and that's that's the other thing is people you look at and you go um you know, this rate is good or that's rate is good. Or the, uh, the bank always will treat me well. Cause I've been there for 25 years. Oh, I hear years. that one a lot. And, and, and you look at it and go, you mean the bank isn't trying to make money off you? Come on. <laughs> it, that, that's the thing. 
And banks are remarkably good. As you said, when was the last time a bank ever lost any money? Yeah. They post record profits consistently, consistently. And that is a testament to their ability to make money. Yeah. And that's off the backs of hardworking Canadians. Yeah. Fair enough, right? Yeah. Well, I think we've covered most of our intro intro to getting into the market and, and whatnot. Is there anything that you uh, that's burning at you that you want to add to the podcast to our to our listeners that you need you need them to know i'm a huge canucks fan so <laughs> I, I i'm looking for the canucks to win the stanley cup <laughs> just like the vancouver market is uh definitely not slowing down this is the year the canucks are gonna win the stanley cup. <laughs> come on no seriously though um i think the biggest thing is a couple of takeaways is get started on savings early do what you can i mean 100 bucks 500 bucks thousand bucks 10 bucks, whatever, everything will help. Number two is when you get in, get in. That's really key because you want to start building that equity and you never know uh, where it might end up because you might have the ability to uh, get in on something. Or if the market starts to shift a little bit, you're already sort of looking and getting involved and getting interested. And I think that's really key. Nice. All right. Well, thank you very much, Jordan. If uh, someone's trying to get a hold of you to geek out with you and and get some of that uh, customer service, What's the easiest place to find you? We'll obviously put this all in the description as well, but uh, where can they find you? Yeah, so definitely look me up on uh, kofskimortgage.ca. That's uh, super easy. You can look, Google me, Jordan Kofsky Mortgage Broker. I'm on there with my reviews and everything like that. You can do that. Um, or just, you know, give me a call. But, um, you know, I can put the number on here, but I guess it'll be easier to read it on the description or on my <laughs> website. Let's go from there. All right. Well, thank you very much, Jordan. And if you've been listening this long, thank you very much for listening to Bamboo, Vancouver's investment and property management podcast. Mm-hmm.